0: Our second lesson is from Romans, the 13th chapter, beginning at the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I want to express... My sincere and heartfelt appreciation for the gift of this recent sabbatical. I served three congregations before coming to faith and not one of them had a sabbatical policy. In fact, I didn't know that faith provided sabbaticals until I'd already interviewed and accepted the call to become your senior pastor. I was looking through the personnel manual and I saw this in writing and I wondered, is this just in writing or is it reality? And you can imagine my uh, pleasant surprise when I was assured That this sabbatical policy was real and it was there to bless all the pastors and it has been indeed a rich blessing now i want to share with you a reality of pastoral burnout and i don't mean that as a complaint but i think you know how life has changed for all of us these last 30 40 years and that includes congregational ministry The expectations of a pastor are not what they were when I finished seminary in 1984. And again, that's not a gripe, it's just an observation. LifeWay Research Group indicates that over 50% of new pastors in the last 20 years left the ministry within the first three years. It was just too much. Only 10% of all pastors make it to a 30-year mark or eventually retire. So faith sabbatical policy is a true blessing to every member of my pastoral staff, and we're all exceedingly grateful. And next year, Pastor Jerry will be enjoying his first sabbatical, and I'll be there to cheer him on and bless him as he takes that time away to grow, rest, and be renewed. I'm refreshed, brothers and sisters. I'm ready for another six years. And I'm ready to continue working hard for you and equally hard with you in fulfilling our mission as a people of God. And I did a lot of pastoral work while I was away from you. I didn't do it here at the office, but I did a lot of it at home in my uh, man cave with my laptop. I also did a lot of thinking and praying about our mission when I was up in the mountains, far from the things of man. I once again... Experience gratitude that we know what we're about here at Faith, that we have a clear, concise mission. Many of our members have this mission written on their hearts. They can recite it verbatim. If you're visiting today, you may not know our mission. It's right there printed on the cover of your bulletin. Our mission is to lead people to Christ, incorporating them into the life of the church and equipping one another for effective Christian living. This meditation today and next Sunday's Church and State Part 2 really pertain to that third component of our shared mission, what it means to live effectively as God's people, as Christians. One important aspect of living effectively this side of heaven means understanding ourselves, As being in the world, but not of it. As citizens of the state, to be sure, but also citizens of the higher, holy kingdom of God. So today and next weekend, we're going to focus on church and state and how we are called to live, to serve effectively, as followers of Jesus Christ in each. Now, yesterday we had a memorial service for Joanne Abbott. And you may not even know her name, but if you have ever been prayed for or if you've ever asked us to pray for a loved one, a coworker, a classmate or a friend here in worship, Joanne was part of our prayer chain and she prayed for those individuals. She may have been praying for you on a daily basis from our home. And some of the church members who were here yesterday went looking around and found the bulletins for worship. And when one brother saw the title of the sermon, he said, So, after sabbatical, are you finally going to let us know what you think about Donald Trump? <laughs> and he was a little disappointed when I told him no. Not from the pulpit. This sermon is not about politics or politicians. I won't be talking about Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Gary Johnson, or any other presidential candidate. And when I said those very words last night, one of our members waited for me after the Saturday service to chastise me because she said, you didn't mention Jill Stein, and that was my candidate of choice. (laughs) Let's all just take a deep breath, shall we? Please, as I've said before, and I will say again to my day of retirement or my last sermon before I die, whichever comes first. This pulpit is the place where your pastors are called to preach the word of God. And anything I might say about a particular politician would be my strong personal opinion. And my opinions are strong, aren't yours? But my opinions won't save you or anyone else from sin and death. And your politics and your opinions won't save you from hell either. This pulpit is for declaring God, God's word, the gift of the Savior Jesus Christ. And what the Lord has to say to each one of us, about our calling to be his people. This does not mean that I am apolitical. I care very much about what our politicians are saying and doing. I care just as much about what they are not saying and doing. And over the course of my sabbatical, several of you contacted me saying, Pastor, I know you're on sabbatical, but could we get together? And we did. And many of those conversations turned to politics. And when a fellow church member and I find ourselves in agreement over who would make the best president, we were able to compliment one another on our infinite wisdom. (laughs) But more than a few times, we realized that we disagreed. Severely. Seriously. And isn't that the nature of politics? We are not united here at Faith because we agree on every issue or support the same candidates in every Election, be that local, state, or national. During the regular council meeting last Tuesday night, it was acknowledged that not every church council member voted for the same candidate. We had some counselors who voted for third-party candidates. And yet our church council continues to be able to work together effectively as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that every single one of us should be able to do the same. And I even believe that God expects us to do so Just think about that. Just think about that for a moment, please. Did anyone stop you and require you to declare your political party affiliation before they allowed you to walk into the building this morning? And for those of you who've attended any of my new member classes the last 18 years, were you required to have a one-on-one meeting with me or anyone else where we asked you, now, what party do you affiliate with? Because we need to know before we let you join this church. Mm -mm. Faith was founded in 1955 If you're old enough, who was president then? Dwight David Eisenhower Some of you are awake, thank you What was he? Republican. Republican Since then we have elected five presidents who were Democrats And four who were Republican Now last night another member waited to chastise me After the sermon Because he said we've actually had five Republican presidents since then I said elected, Gerald Ford was not Whether a Republican or a Democrat lived in the White House, our congregation has sought to be faithful to the lordship of Jesus Christ in giving witness to the marvelous love of God since 1955. We have done that during the Obama administration. We will surely do the same during a Trump administration. What unites us as Christians is Jesus Christ. What makes us one is the work of the Holy Spirit. Among us, active What keeps us united in faith, hope, and love is the living word of God, and that's Jesus the Christ. And so today we meditate on what this word of God teaches us about our life as his servant people, as citizens here on earth. Another way to say this is our life in the church and our life in the state. Now, I've said again and again that we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not the blood of Martin Luther, But Martin Luther is instructive, as are many theologians through the ages. And he describes this faithfully in what many of you have come to know and appreciate as his theology of two kingdoms. Luther didn't just make this up. Theology that's faithful is always rooted in Scripture. And Luther saw in God's word and the witness of Jesus Christ these two kingdoms at play. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, said Jesus, and unto God what is God's. That's in Mark chapter 12. And then in John's gospel, chapter 18, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So Luther rightly came to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we live in two kingdoms while we are on earth. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, he refers to as the kingdom on the right, where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And then using that imagery, he says the kingdom of this world is the kingdom on the left. When Christ comes again, all the kingdoms of this world will be over. They will end. When Jesus returns in glory, his kingdom and his kingdom alone will reign forever and ever. Imagine this. Think about it, friends. When Jesus comes again in glory, there will be no more political campaign ads. No more commercials. Isn't that enough to make you shout, Amen, come Lord Jesus? But until that day arrives, you and I have to work out our faith in this dual citizenship in both the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom of this earth. And it is this dual citizenship that Paul is really addressing in his letter to the Romans. Listen to those first verses again, please. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed and those who resist incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad isn't that interesting that Paul says every person every person should be subject to the governing authorities he was telling his fellow Christians you're not exempt all people And in Paul's day, that would have meant faithful Jews, that growing band of Christ followers, the Christian church, and all those Roman Gentiles who worshipped all the, what we would call, false gods. Similarly, the laws of our land today are meant for everyone, Christians and pagans, Buddhists and Mormons, Anglicans and agnostics. Paul would remind us that everyone is accountable to government. Not because government is all powerful and certainly not because government is perfect. But because somehow in the mystery of God's ordering of the world the authority of the land, the authority of government is something instituted by God. Just pause right there. This is what the word teaches us. The authority of government has been instituted by God. Did you know this? Did you know that the Word of God teaches us that order, law, government, authority is the Lord's idea? Many people, even some Christians, wrongly think that government is something that we cooked up, that it's just mankind's idea, and that God is so busy being God, he has no interest in or time for such such, such temporal worldly affairs. Think back to when Jesus was on trial. pilate took him and had him flogged whipped beaten the soldiers mocked him as he's wearing the purple robe and the crown of thorns fleshed into his pressed into his flesh the angry crowd is shouting again and again crucify him and pilate says where do you come from do you remember jesus is silent Pilate's a little indignant. You won't talk to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I have authority? I can set you free or I can have you crucified. And think on what Jesus said next. You have no authority over me except what has been given you from heaven. Now historians would say that Pilate's authority came from Rome, from Caesar himself. But Jesus says otherwise, doesn't he? As Christians here in these United States, we can and I think we should rejoice in the freedom we have to elect our government officials. But whether Christians today are living in a democracy, a republic, a monarchy, an oligarchy, even a dictatorship we believe what Jesus told Pilate earthly authority is secondary to God's holy authority and it's God who ordained that there should be order when it comes to our life together as people of a particular city, state or nation public order is God's idea the details of how we flesh that out and go about forming and shaping our local governance well those things are left up to us aren't they? But that brings us to another point that's all too often misunderstood about this teaching. While it's true that government is part of God's ordering of the world he loves, for the sake of our common good, it is not God's idea, and it is not the Lord's intent, that governments should become corrupt or evil. Paul said, Rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. This is certainly true when rulers understand what Paul already put forth about their authority having its source in a greater authority in God. But when those entrusted with worldly authority do not understand their place and the ordering of things and the true source of their power and the God to whom they are all accountable, then they can, in fact, become enemies of God, enemies of grace and mercy and truth. When rulers themselves turn from God and become instruments of evil, then Christians by no means are required by faith to obey their laws, their regulations, their edicts. If a Christian in Germany followed the anti-Semitic hatred of Hitler in the Third Reich, I don't know how that Christian's conscience could not have been in terror. And sadly, thousands of Christians ignored their citizenship in the kingdom of God and followed the hateful, diabolical, genocidal practices of the Fuhrer. They may have been good Nazis, according to the Third Reich, but I ask you, were they being faithful Christians? Again, we turn to God's Word for insight here. Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles are in Jerusalem, you remember. They're in trouble again, with the authorities. (laughs) I read for you from that fifth chapter. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but without violence because they were afraid of the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we charged you strictly not to teach in this name, Jesus. And yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us all. But Peter and the apostles replied, listen, we must obey God rather than men. And later in that same chapter, So they called in the apostles, and they beat them. (laughs) And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, and let them go. And when the apostles left the council, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer such dishonor for the name of Jesus. And they disobeyed the strict order they were given. Verse 42, And every day in the temple and at home they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Hmm. when any earthly authority fulfills its God-given role to establish and maintain order and keep the peace then we as Christians can and should live responsibly within that society but when any earthly government forsakes its God-given role and brings about chaos and violence or even if a government makes it illegal to share the good news of Jesus Christ then we resist and we have a spiritual obligation to stand against such law And even if we, like the apostles in Jerusalem, are placed behind bars for doing so, we should do that fearlessly, with a good conscience, because our calling as citizens in the kingdom of God outweighs our calling as citizens of this earth. So, friends, perhaps you are giddy. Perhaps you are downright delighted that Donald Trump is our president-elect. Maybe you were hoping Gary Johnson would pull out an upset Hillary Clinton may have been your candidate of choice. Oh, yeah, I better mention Jill Stein again so none of you get mad at me or any of the other candidates, okay? But think about this. The person sitting behind you or in front of you may have voted for the same candidate in our recent presidential election. That person may have been on the opposite side of the political aisle where you sit in the kingdom of this world. But there are no aisles at the foot of the cross. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Sinners who identify themselves for a short while on planet Earth as Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Democratic Socialists, or members of any other political party. And I have a suggestion for your prayers tonight. John chapter 17. That entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus as he's about to be betrayed, tortured, and crucified. And in John 17, Jesus is praying even then for us today that his people, his church, would be one even as he and the Father are one. I've been praying on that chapter a lot since the election. I've been praying for our congregation daily That we would be one as Christ prayed that we would be, giving witness to his lordship. And then we can talk over coffee, over beverage of choice, about our preferred candidates. And we might strongly, vehemently disagree, but my prayer is we would agree on one thing. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. And when his kingdom comes in its glory, all the kingdoms of this earth will be silenced and part of history. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, you have ordered the world according to your will and purpose. You are the giver of life, the sustainer of life. You are the one who instituted governing authorities upon the earth. We pray for all those entrusted with power and authority in our life together as a nation, a state, as a city. Turn all of us from evil or selfless ambition. Give to us and to all in positions of leadership a right sense of duty and honor, not just to our country, but to you, the Lord of life. Bless your people near and far with wisdom and courage in all things. To the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.